I'm now joined by Nancy Davis, founder and chief investment officer at Quadratic Capital Management. Of course, Nancy is the portfolio manager on the Quadratic Interest Rate Volatility and Inflation Hedge ETF, ticker symbol IVOL, I-V-O-L. That has about $1.7 billion in assets. Nancy also manages the Quadratic Deflation ETF, ticker BNDD, which that just launched in September of last year, already has $70 million in uh, assets. And Nancy's now on the line with me from Greenwich, Connecticut. Nancy, always a pleasure. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks for having me on. It's great to be your guest again. All right. So look, we're going to get into uh, eyeball here in a moment, but I want to start with your thoughts on the current fixed income markets. And I I thought about this. I'm going to frame this for you a little bit. So I was discussing this earlier with uh, Vetify's Tom Leiden, and I would say for probably most advisors and investors, this is the single biggest challenge right now. So I think a lot of investors are struggling with just some of the broad decision-making around bonds. Uh, Do you stick with a broad bond allocation and hope rates don't keep rising? Uh, Do you shorten up duration and and maybe even park in cash until uh, things clear up a bit? I think there are some other investors who might say, look, you know, maybe now is a good time to take on some duration risk with the thinking being that the U.S. could be headed for a recession if we're not already in one. And so that, you know, therefore inflation has peaked and rates are going to come back in. I think you get the idea. There's obviously a lot for investors to consider. So let's start with the obvious here, which is that broad U.S. bonds were down about 11 percent in the first half of the year. As I'm sure you're aware, that's the worst start to a year ever. Do you think we could see a repeat of that in the second half of the year? Or do you think like most of the damage has been done at this point? Well, I think the the thing that investors really have to keep in mind is if they're using core fixed income um, or core fixed income managers that are benchmarked to uh, what is now called the Bloomberg AG, the AG index that used to be the the Barclays AG, and before that the Lehman AG, and before that it had different names. But there's no, it's not very diversified, and that's the thing we always try to educate investors about. The ag is only short fixed income volatility. I feel like there's a lot of attention on equity volatility, but mortgages are short options because uh, the homeowner is long the option to prepay. Therefore, the owner of the financial mortgage is actually short options to homeowners. And whenever you're short options, you're short vol. This is fixed income vol, net equity vol. But any place investors um, or financial advisors have the ag in their portfolio, they're only giving their clients exposure to short fixed income volatility. Plus, many people don't realize that the ag is not that diversified because the ag does not have any um, inflation-protected bonds. There's no tips inside the ag. So I see a lot of investors who are using eyeball, which is approximately 80% uh, treasury inflation-protected securities plus um, the interest rate options that we own, which is long vol, they're using iVol as a way to complete their core fixed income exposure and add more of a diversification to the ag. So they're using it as a complement to say, look, we're going to take our ag portfolio, but then we're going to add iVol to capture inflation-protected treasuries, inflation expectations in the future, and at least neutralize the short volatility that's embedded uh, in the ag exposure, especially with the Fed unwinding their balance sheet, which really just started. Um, Vol has been, uh, in fixed income, been going down uh, with the exception of this year. Now, it's really unclear. Vol works on both sides, whether interest rates are going to go higher or lower. That's really anyone's guess. I think it's hard to speculate on that. But I think the one thing we can count on 
is that the markets are going to be more fragile, less liquidity. The Fed is tightening policy. Inflation is a real, you know, real concern for politicians, especially as we go into midterms. And I think the one thing you got to be aware that the ag is not is not as core as the name might imply. You've mentioned the Fed a couple of times. I'm curious, where do you land on the Fed overall? I, I look at some of these comments from uh, Jerome Powell recently. You, you may have seen this last week when he was asked about inflation. He said, quote, we now understand better how little we understand, which wasn't exactly reassuring. And yeah. from my perspective, you know, look, I'm no uh, economic savant, but it seems like the Fed has been asleep at the wheel over the past couple of years. So how do you think the Fed's going to handle things moving forward? Do you think they're now truly committed on tackling inflation? And if so, do you think they can do that without driving the economy into the ground? Well, all markets, including the interest rate markets, move off of future expectations, right? When you buy an equity, it's not based on what that company did last quarter. It's what do you expect in the future? It's all based on multiples and earnings per share growth and expectations for the future. The same principles apply in the inflation and in the rates markets. Um, IVAL is kind of unique because with the options piece, we don't really care where interest rates go. We just either want lower, uh, less Fed hike expectations. And right now I'm looking at my Bloomberg screen. There's 163 basis points, 1.63. So over what the Fed's already hiked, priced in just for the end of this year. So less than five months left in the year. You need the Fed to hike more than they already have now just to meet expectations. So IVAL can potentially benefit from less Fed hikes or higher long-term yields. And so it's kind of neat because you don't really have to take a bet about what regime we're in. Typically, less Fed hikes would be something bad happening, right? The more negative GDP growth, more stagflationary concerns, lower growth, where the Fed can't actually meet those hawkish expectations, which have already been built into the market pricing. Or if the Fed does hike another, you know, 162 basis points to bring Fed funds above three, You would expect that the 10-year, I'm looking at the generic 10-year right now, it's 283, right? Um, You would expect that 10-year yields would go higher. So I think the unique thing is it doesn't really matter where, um, at least with the options piece inside Eyeball, where interest rates go. We just need them to to move or to either either higher long-term yields or lower front-dated yields. And those environments happen in different, different scenarios. And I think stagflation is something that people really should be worried about because that's, you know, classic definition is, you know, higher prices but lower growth. And that's typically when both stocks and bonds sell off together, which you can see, you know, the 10-year Treasury lost more than the S&P in the first half of the year. (laughs) You know, we're talking about the ag only, but, you know, investing in, uh, you know, 10-year Treasury is not risk-free, right? It actually lost more than equities. Nancy, you've you've talked a little bit about what Ivol does. I really want to boil this down for advisors and investors just to make sure they understand this. I think there there is a segment of people who may look at the CTF and feel like it's it's complicated or complex. And so here's how I thought we might do this. I think a lot of investors are familiar with tips and tips ETFs. And Ivol, if you look at the current holdings, it does hold approximately 80% in tips ETFs. The uh, Schwab tips ETF ticker SEHP to be uh, specific. But uh, again, just to boil this down, what's different about owning IVOL versus owning something like SCHP or, or TIP, the iShares TIPS ETF, on its own? 
Yeah, no, thanks, Nate, for asking that question. Both SCHP and TIP are the same passive TIPS index. The problems that we're trying to fix with Eyeball is we have that core TIPS portfolio, but TIPS are only reset with the consumer price index. You think about it from equity land. You would never buy the Dow Jones index or the NASDAQ index or the Russell index and say, ta-da, I have U.S. equities. And they're actually more ETFs than stocks, right? So it should be pretty simple to measure the U.S. stock market. It's actually not. And so the problem with tips by themselves is the only way that tips are reset is this one index, the Consumer Price Index, which is set by the Bureau of Labor Statistics. I always think of that when I go to the DMV. I'm like, oh, my gosh. (laughs) It's the government. And they can change the basket anytime they want. And a third of the index, you can just type this into Google, Bureau of Labor Statistics CPI basket, a third of that index right now is rent. It's owner-occupied rent. And so a lot of our investors are saying, look, we want future inflation expectations outside of just CPI. So we take that core tips portfolio and then we add this other measure of inflation expectations outside of CPI. But it's pretty unique because we can also benefit from higher long-term rates. So that's how Eyeballs had, you know, if you look at the uh, second quarter of 2022, we just finished quarter end and Eyeball had, you know, substantial uh outperformance um, tips alone were down uh, over 6% that that U.S. tips index, which is what the Schwab and TIP reference. And Eyeball's NAV was actually up 31 basis points. So think about that. The 80% of the bonds were down 6%, over 6%. Our NAV was up 31 basis points. And that outperformance is because of higher 10-year yields, So the problem with short duration is it's not really short anything, right? It's just less long. So you're still guaranteed if interest rates move higher to lose money. IVAL gives you a way to potentially actually profit from higher long-term yields or less Fed hikes. And that's a really interesting thing because that typically happens in a risk-off period like March 2020. Tips alone were down about 150 to 175 basis points even though we were 85% in tips at the time, Ival had positive performance in that, in that month when equities were selling off and credit spreads were widening. So it's kind of a unique strategy because it can do potentially well in either risk on or risk off. Um, and also having that long volatility exposure is when you look at our correlation to other asset classes, it doesn't really look like it has virtually no correlation historically to equities, um, very low correlation to credit, to EM, to VIX. It's just something else. Um, And I think it's really important for investors not to take a bet on where they think interest rates are going to go, but have a way to benefit from increased fixed income volatility, which if they have the ag or any mortgages, a lot of short duration strategies don't take a lot of rate risk, but they add a lot of spread risk. (laughs) So using credit, or uh, European banks for floating rate exposure, or mortgages, structured credit, which is just levered mortgages. So it's really important to understand what you own inside these strategies and have diversification so everything doesn't go up or go down all at the same time, right? And that's what we've been very fortunate, um, with the exception of 22, both stocks and bonds have been going up since the pandemic, and now they're both going down together. Um, I think Ival is a is a really unique. It's a very differentiated strategy. It is a, you know, it is the first of its kind to access this market and to access inflation expectations outside of CPI. All the other 
uh, ETFs that access inflation either do it with um, tips, which again, it's just CPI inflation, or they're accessing things like commodities or cyclical equities. And I think the problem with that is if you look back to the 70s, you know, the tips market wasn't even created until 1997. So there's no, I think investors don't realize how much tips are not going to work in an inflationary period because they didn't exist back then. Um, So people look to commodities, whether it's gold or oil or cyclical equities or real estate, all these things that existed in the 70s, whereas the rates market, I think, is a very simplistic way of capturing future inflation expectations that investors really should not be taking a bet about whether inflation is transitory or not, because especially if a financial advisor's clients are not working, right, just think about a personal balance sheet, they could have higher cost of living and not benefit from wage inflation. So I think there's never been a more important time in investors' life cycle to be thinking about inflation expectations. And the the amazing thing, this is really the wild thing, is uh, real yields are back to levels. Um, Tips make money when real yields go lower because they're bonds. Real yields are back to the same level right now where they were when Ival first listed in May 2019, which is absolutely incredible. So the market is saying the Fed's going to hike. That's going to slow inflation in the future. And it's a really good time to be buying low, you know, because inflation expectations in the future are expected to decrease. And that's why it's a good time to be adding things like uh, inflation and inflation protection in the future because it's not priced in. It's not priced in to be anything other than transitory, even though the Fed has retired that word. Nancy, just a fantastic description. I, I guess, look, just a couple of minutes left here. If, if I had to boil this down, I think you've done a great job of explaining some of the shortcomings just with the aggregate bond, an ETF like AGG or BND. You've compared IVOL to TIP, something like SEHP, uh, TIP. You've talked a little bit about you know, maybe some of the, the shortcomings of moving into floating rate note ETFs, which I know a lot of advisors are doing. I think a lot of advisors are also moving just to shorter duration uh, ETFs overall, something like MI, you know, Mint or JPST. J- just a couple of minutes left. If, if you could leave advisors and investors with some words of wisdom in their fixed income portfolios, we head to the second half of the year, what would those be? Well, number one, um, short duration strategies don't take a lot of rate risk. And they don't have any way to profit from higher interest rates. They just lose less money. So they really should be called less long, not short duration. They're not short anything. They're just less long. And so if you're not taking a lot of rate risk, you typically, they're taking a lot of credit or spread risk, whether it's uh, structured credit. Anytime you see these credit acronyms, that's all structured credit, whether it's um, CMBS, ABS, CMO, CDO, CLO, anything with three-letter acronyms in credit is um, typically linear derivatives and and leverage um, inside of these portfolios. So be very, very careful about the credit and and spread risk. Um, And then also just know that short duration has, uh, you know, it's not necessarily the only way to to express that view. It doesn't necessarily, nothing in investing is safe. And if you look at a lot of these strategies in March 2020 in particular, you can see when equities sell off, credit spreads tend to widen. So if you have a bond portfolio with a lot of credit risk, you really don't have anything different. You kind of have the same beta as equities because it's the same corporate. It's just a different part of the capital structure. Whether you own, you know, simple example, XYZ company's stock or XYZ company's bonds or loans, you kind of got the same exposure. So I think it's just really important that investors 
understand what's in these strategies. Don't go by name only um, and, and understand the credit risk. If they're not taking a lot of rate risk, they're probably taking a lot of credit spread risk. Well, Nancy, I always enjoy visiting. Uh, Again, just excellent perspective this week. Thank you for joining me. Thanks for having me on. It's great to catch up. That was Nancy Davis, founder and chief investment officer of Quadratic Capital Management.